Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. On today's episode, we have a very special guest who is an expert in his field, but is also near and dear to me as one of my best friends, Ben Pinnell. He is a Southern California native, an Orange County realtor, and team principal of the Coastal Estate Group. He is an income property slash Airbnb owner in his own local market of Newport Beach, and he serves the local OC and LA markets. He has trusted referral partners in almost every other housing market nationwide. He is a wealth of knowledge in the real estate industry, and being that he also owns his own Airbnb, he can really speak to real estate as a whole, and specifically real estate investors who want to do short-term rentals. And perhaps most importantly, he is also the man responsible for shaving my husband's head. Uh, Eric, unfortunately, had a receding hairline he was dealing with for a few years, didn't want to own it, and God bless Ben for just taking a electric razor to his head one day and making the decision for Eric. He's never turned back since, and I am eternally grateful for Ben's wisdom here. And not only that, he is also my baby Violet's godfather. The reason I really wanted to have him on this week's episode was to talk about the recession. I am getting so many questions from you guys, and I just feel that there is a lot of fear surrounding the recession and what it means for the housing market. Is this a good time to start your first investment deal? If you're already hosting, is this a good time to be scaling up? And I think our talk today is going to leave you with so much encouragement and a lot of really practical advice to just get out of your own head and go make the first move. If you have always been dreaming of investing in real estate, this episode is going to be really, really encouraging and showing you that you can do it and it's not as risky or as unattainable as you may think. So without further ado, Ben, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Yes, I am so honored to be on here. And the most important part of my title is I am Violet's godfather. So <laughs> yes, that is true. Um, but yeah, stoked to be on here. Like Natalie said, I uh, do residential real estate in Orange County. Um, I also am invested in residential real estate in Orange County myself. I do have an income property slash Airbnb. So uh, that's fun. I'm sure we'll kind of use that today to talk a little bit about my experience with that, not only as a realtor, but as an investor myself. Awesome. The reason I wanted to have you on today was when I when I called you and pitched you coming on, it was about the recession specifically. I have been getting flooded with questions and a lot of fear around this time. And I know you have a lot more to offer than just talking about the recession, but that is kind of the hot topic on everyone's mind right now. So 
could I just pick your brain on what are your thoughts about everything recession based? Is it as bad as people think? Is this not a good time to invest? What can you equip us with today? Yes, I would love to talk about that. So to start off, I think one of the biggest things that we're seeing on our end is that a lot of people are misinterpreting the word recession with housing crisis. Mm, okay. And I think that's that's a big issue. And, and a lot of people start to relate back to, you know, 2006, 2007. But a lot of people were not real estate investors at that time. And okay. all they know is the word recession. And they think of what happened then and the madness and whatnot. So I think it's important to know the difference between what happened then with that recession and what we're currently in now. And what we're in now is not a housing crisis. Uh, there's no... At that time, anyone could get a loan. It was I heard it was easier to get a uh, house uh, a mortgage loan than it was to get a car loan. Like it was it was crazy. So that eventually created some form of a bubble that bursted, and that was the housing crisis. Okay. Now that's not the case. Buyers have to be thoroughly vetted, thoroughly qualified in order to purchase. So we're not in any form like that. Uh, with that being said there is a lot going on with the market. So it is important to be educated on what exactly is going on and what affects you because every case is so different. And that's that's the other important thing is so many people are like, well, what's going on? Is now a good time? Like that is the biggest question. Is now a good time to buy? Is now a good time to sell? And the answer is yes and no. It depends who you are, you know? So I, I think we could definitely take a deeper dive into that. I'm um, glad you're touching on that because there's the cliche out there that every single realtor will tell you it's always a good time to buy and it's always a good time to sell. So give us your honest thoughts. Is right now a good time to buy or sell? Is it a seller's market or a buyer's market? Yes. Yeah. So actually this morning we had an office meeting. We were going over some of the data and the data shows that we are still in a strong seller's market um, where people are still selling. Obviously, things are not moving the insane way things were a few months ago, a year ago. And in that market, that was just unrealistic. So for any new home buyer or someone looking to start their investment portfolio or buy their first home, they need to understand if they were introduced into the market in the last couple of years, that is not reality. That is not how things normally operate. Um, So what we're starting to see now in this market is really more of a normal market as far as where the interest rates are at, as far as the days on market for some of these listings. This is a normal market. This is the market that I was introduced into when I first got in the business. Um, and for a buyer, what that means is, yeah, you see a home that has you know, 30, 40, 50 days on market. To me, I don't think what's wrong with that home. I think opportunity. Mm-hmm. There is opportunity to negotiate. And that is one of the biggest tools that your realtor as a buyer can provide for you, which is their negotiation. Okay. Um, so, so for me personally, and again, I, I am a residential real estate agent, but I also am an investor myself. Me personally as a buyer, I think now is a great time to buy. I think now is a great time to start looking what's sitting on the market, what's going on. In those times of uncertainty, that's when the competition drops and that's when it's your opportunity yeah. to strike. Yeah. And you see a lot of big investors do that. I know Warren Buffett is notorious for it. It's like as soon as things slow down and like, there's a recession or whatever, that's when he charges in. Yeah. So I think that's so important to understand what is your personal situation financially? What is your goal over the next few years and whatnot? And then just 
connect with the professional and and start looking and don't don't be intimidated don't be scared by what's going on yeah i think that's such good advice and i know yeah warren buffett is a classic example of that but there's so many cases of wealthy investors who have literally said that they have been saving up their money for when times of recession happens and then that's when they just pounce and go all in um and i i agree with you that there's a lot of uh i know a lot of my listeners are scared but i think that that's to your point, you should take that as a sign that if other people are scared and they're dropping out of the market and scared to compete right now, maybe this is your time to enter. Definitely. And, and another good example of that is uh, something more recent is 2020. Like when COVID hit and everything, everyone was at a standstill. People yeah. are like, what's going on? The sky is falling. Like, what do we do? And that hit the real estate market hard in the beginning but then people are like, wait, no, like it's, it's time to go, you know, <laughs> stuff was sitting. And again, I speak from firsthand experience of being a listing agent, trying to sell a beautiful home that now sells double in value, but at the time wouldn't move yeah. because everyone was so apprehensive. And 2020 is when I personally made my first purchase. And yeah. that was one of those homes where literally within a year or some change, it almost doubled in equity. Okay. Like it, that is absolutely obscene. But like, that was the reality of the situation. People were apprehensive, people were uncertain, people were scared. But the few people that charged in from the people who bought in 2020 are happy campers today. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So this is another small window of like, okay, what's going to happen? Interest rates are creeping up. I'm just going to pause my search. And I think that personally, I think that is a mistake. Um, again, depending on your situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so that leads me to another point, because we're kind of talking about uh, you know, people who invested in 2020 or 2021, they a lot of them have doubled their equity. I know with me and Eric, the condo we bought in Big Bear, when we purchased it, our closing cost was like 183. It was ridiculously cheap and it's now appraised at like 375. So pretty much doubled. I know that's what happened with you and the vacation home you have, the investment property in Newport. Um, so even being in different markets, I'm in a very seasonal tourist destination and you are luxury beachfront in Newport, California, we still saw very similar trends. What would you say to somebody who, or I guess I just want to ask you, like, is there ever a time that real estate is a bad investment? I have my thoughts on this. And I know that there are people who lost money in a housing crash. But for anybody who's just like super nervous out there, like what can you tell them to encourage them that in the long haul, does real estate always pay off as people say, or is that just a talking point that realtors say? Yeah, no, 100%. I think, I think real estate, if you look at any um, or some of the most wealthy people in the world, they all have a little bit of real estate in their portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about investing, especially like millennials right now who are starting to build, starting to build wealth, um, some of the common things, obviously real estate's there, stocks, crypto animated monkeys uh, that I don't know nothing about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, there's so many different ways, so many different vehicles that you can put your money in. Some are, you know, can grow quickly. Mm -hmm. Some are high risk, high reward. Some are more long-term. There's so many different things. But I think with that being said, real estate historically has never changed. It has always been a consistent, steady increase in equity, appreciation over time. And I personally do not foresee that changing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's, it, it is that it's like when you talk to someone, when I talk to my parents and I hear like how affordable things were back then, you're like, 
you could have bought a house on the sand for 400,000. Like, what were you like? Why didn't you buy that? Yeah. But at the time that was so expensive. Yeah. So it's like, you got to think it's always relative. And, and right now in this market, you know, you could obviously, obviously we live here in Orange County. So you could think, well, I can go buy in Tennessee or Texas or, you know, and anywhere else where my money goes a lot further for the actual physical home. But one thing you want to always remember, and it's the first thing I think anyone ever hears about real estate is location, location, location. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for me as a real estate investor, my personal thing, my number one priority is location. Okay. I think what what is the safest bet? Because when I buy real estate, it's not for a quick, in, unless it is purchased for a flip, but when I'm buying to hold, it's like, what is actually going to increase in equity over time? What is going to appreciate in value? And for me, that's coastal, as close to the coast as I can get. They're not building any more Balboa Peninsula. They're not, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then when you're, as far as advising inland, again, I'm not an expert there, but from my personal experience and opinion, it is a little more of a risk and it can be a higher reward. You know, if you were to buy in Scottsdale years ago and then it boom, you're like, oh my gosh, you made out. Same yeah. thing in Nashville, same thing in Austin. Like so many of these markets, if you bought early on not knowing, you got a great reward. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's like it's some of these markets have slowed down. The Austin market kind of flipped. And the issue there is there's so much land. Yeah. So it's like, why would I buy this when I can buy the new thing across the street? <laughs> right. And you keep going and keep going. So when you're in a landlocked location, uh, I'm sorry, not a landlocked location, but a geographically locked location like Southern California between mountains and ocean, mm -hmm. it's it's exclusive, you yeah. know, that, that land is exclusive and you're buying land, you okay. know, it's, it's the same reason why I advise clients never buy on leased land because you don't own the land. There's no value in that. You're buying a structure, you know, so you're not increasing your equity and, and you're not getting that appreciation. So, so there is so many benefits to go back to your question. Aside from appreciation, it's like there's tax benefits. And when you sit down with, um, you know, your lender to, to break down these numbers and see what it actually pencils out to at the end of the year, it's not that big, scary mortgage. That's not it. There's so many savings and there's so many benefits with depreciation and tax savings where it's like it really ends up cutting your costs down more than just losing that 100% interest to rent. Yeah. You know, that's what rent is. That's 100% interest. And that is gone. Yeah. You know, so... There's again, it's it's kind of it's tough to give such a general answer to such a broad, creative uh, way of investing because there's so many fun ways that you can invest in real estate. You're an expert with Airbnb, but there's so many other ways to do it. Um, but generally speaking, real estate historically, I, I would say personally, is a safe bet. It's a long term bet, um, and there's so many fun ways to do it. You just have to make sure you're educated and that you're going about it the proper way with the proper guidance. Yeah, I mean, I have always thought to myself that with Airbnb and me getting involved in all of that, I, I love Airbnb, I love hosting, like that is my passion. But to me, Airbnb is kind of just one um, one vehicle that has made real estate investing possible for me. I would not be able to uh, hold that big bear condo that we invested in if I didn't have it listed on Airbnb. So I think for a lot of people, the goal is just like Airbnb, Airbnb, either I can co-host or I can do arbitrage for someone else. And I would encourage anyone listening that really, I think your main goal should be 
long-term wealth through real estate. And then Airbnb is just one vehicle that's going to help you cash flow and cover your bills and everything while you get into that investment. Um, and I know you have a investment property that you were listing on Airbnb. Okay. So luckily where we're at, and obviously we're seeing some of the effects of communities stopping Airbnb and, and stopping short-term rentals, which yeah. can be a little scary at times, but you know, we were fortunate enough to get a short-term lodging permit and we have that we're in, we're good. So we'll maintain that for as long as we can as a short-term rental, because the numbers just are way better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's, I feel like the reality of all Airbnbs, it's such a great opportunity to get into the real estate market confidently. Um, so yeah. And, and I think that kind of, I mean, that kind of flows into just like you mentioned, building wealth in real estate and, and kind of like, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. How do you start out? And the most simple way I can put this is you just have to start. <laughs> uh, so many people are like, well, I'm waiting till I save up so I can buy this or because I want to buy there or I want that. But the reality is no one saves up enough cash to buy a hundred unit building. Yeah. The way you get there is by buying that $300,000 condo that then flips into 500,000, flips yeah. into 1.2 million, that flips into 3 million. And then that's how you trade up to get to these to building wealth in real estate. But you see some of these huge investors. I've met them. I've spoken with them. And they a lot of them started with the condo yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or an absolute dump. Uh, and I think some people are intimidated by that. And they're like, well, no, I don't want that. That's too much work. Or that's not what I'm looking to do. Like, I want a pretty Airbnb or I want, you know, a multi-unit or I want to, I listen to, you know, this guy and I want to do the Burr method with this. So it's like, there's so many ways to do yeah. it. Um, but I feel like the reality of the situation is the sooner you can sit at the table and start playing, the sooner you're going to start building wealth because your number one asset in real estate is time. Mm. 100%. Time mm -hmm. is your number one asset and you're never going to look back like, shoot, I wish I didn't buy when I was in my mid twenties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're going to be like, damn, I wish I would have bought. I mean, yeah, somebody could be sitting on the sidelines and saying, okay, I'm going to save enough for five years so that I can buy a $1 million home. Or maybe you have enough right now to get into a $500,000 house. I would say you're better off right now with the 500,000, pour your money into that deal. And then in five years, when you were thinking you'd finally enter the market, you can sell that one, you can refi that one, and you have so much more equity in order to get the bigger deal. I think that the term you use to trade up is like the perfect visual, like just get that first little piece right now. And then you have something you're working with that you can trade up instead of just sitting on the sidelines, waiting and waiting and waiting. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like Dwight with those magical beans. Remember that? <laughs> what did he turn it into in the end? The but He got screwed over because then he got bamboozled by Jim for the magical beans. Yes, but uh, he was right. doing really well. He started with like a pooper clip or something. Yes. So. Okay. But no, that is, that is the simplified concept of it. You really just have to start. You yeah. know, yeah, every, we all want the end goal, but to get there, you do just have to start building that. Um, yeah. And okay, I know everybody and I'm going to link how to reach out to you and everything in the show notes below. But I encourage everybody, even if you are not OC, Southern California based, and realistically, you're never going to buy a home from Ben Pinnell or list with him, still go follow him because he has an amazing account. What is it? Starter Home Collections? 
Starter Home Collections. Starter yep. Home Collections. And again, I will link this below. But from all over the country, he posts really great starter home, first-time home buyer deals. These are affordable homes in good markets. So no matter where you're located, please go follow him. But um, Ben, since you do work so much with first-time buyers, what is kind of some advice you can give? I know you keep saying like, just start, just start. What are like, I don't know, steps one, one, two, three, that somebody can actually do to start in their first time home buying journey today? Yep, definitely. And I, um, like Natalie said, I I do, you know, luxury stuff here in Newport Beach. It's hard not to when you live in Newport Beach (laughs) and in Orange County, but I also have a big focus on first time home buyers. Honestly, that's just like my soft spot. I love helping my peers kind of get started as they're excited to build their portfolios or get their first time with their family. Um, And with that being said, I have firsthand got to experience what are people's apprehensions? What are the issues that they're running into? What are, you know, what's stopping them? And one of the biggest things to prevent them from getting to step one is everyone feeling like, well, I don't want to waste your time because I don't know if I'm ready to buy now. I don't know when I'm going to buy. So my number one step to you is talk to a professional. Even if you're not ready to buy, even if it's just like a, your plan in the next five years, it does not matter. Talk to professionals so that you can get that education and you can actually hear from someone what is realistic. Because at at that point, if you're not talking to anyone, you're just making your best educated guess. We didn't learn this in college. We didn't learn this in high school. Talk to someone who actually knows and experiences this firsthand so they can get you on track. Because your track might be a lot sooner than you thought or it might be a lot further away than you thought. <laughs> but regardless, a professional's going to get you on track to accomplish your goal um, properly, most efficiently. Um, I've talked to people who were like, yeah, <clears throat> we're ready to buy. Uh, we've been doing this, this, and this for the last two years. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> you were not doing the right things to get you ready to buy. Like what? So, okay. What are some examples of people doing things that are all wrong? <laughs> There's just some, like people will just think like, oh, just saving cash. Um, But Mm. then they're still like accumulating like new cars and stuff like that. And then their debt to income ratio is all wonky and their credit's a little off. And it's like, really, we want to focus on that over the last two years. So again, even if you're two years out, talk to me, talk to a lender that I can connect you with, talk to any local professional in your area and get an idea of what you need to do to get where you want to go. Okay. Okay. So that is 100% the step one. And if they're a decent realtor, they should treat you well and they should not make you feel like you're wasting their time because they should know that they're pouring into you and eventually you hopefully will be a client if they actually provided value. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a big thing. Uh, and then the next step after that is once you connect with a professional, for me personally, I'm going to connect you with my lender and then we're going to figure out the numbers. Like you were mentioning earlier, kind of alluding to some of the numbers and what it actually ends up being over time. And I wish I was the numbers guy for you guys, but I'm not. I'm the fun, let's go shopping guy. But I have my numbers people that I connect, you know, my clients with. So you definitely want to figure out your numbers and figure out where you're headed in that direction. And then once we have your numbers set up, then we get to go shopping. Then we get to have fun and, and go look at properties and whatnot. So, yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, just basically don't skip shopping by yourself. <laughs> no, I, I love that. And I know too, like, me, I, I think honestly, like Eric and I did wait too long to get into our first deal because I really did keep thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, let's just say an example here. If somebody is making $70,000 a year, pretty good income. And if they have their sights set on a property that is 650000 
so many people I think think like I have to have $650,000 before I can I can get into that. And if I'm making 70,000 a year, we're looking at minimum like 10 years before I can get into this deal. And sure. I just I wish to your point, we're not taught this in high school, we're not taught this in college. People don't realize mm-hmm. that you can get into these deals sometimes and I know you're not a lender, this is not your expertise, but sometimes with down, 5% down, 10% down. And then from there, your payments are probably what you're already paying on rent. So it's just getting in front of a lender and a realtor and coming up with what you can afford monthly and what you can qualify for now, I think gives you so much perspective instead of just waiting and thinking that it's this huge, 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 big, unattainable number you're never going to reach. 100%. I think that's a really good point. And and there's like a saying... um, marry the property, date the loan, something like that. I may have butchered it, but the (laughs) idea is like, you're not stuck with that, you know, that interest rate or that loan forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the same concept with just like, just any purchase in general, it's like, it's a tool. Like you're not, you're not locked in forever at, at that rate, at that mortgage with this property. So I think once you start to kind of reframe your your thinking into like this is a vehicle, this is a tool, um, then that's that kind of changes your mindset with it. And with that being said, again, there's different types of home buyers. Like, and if we're just generally splitting it up into two big, vague pools, it's you got your kind of like American dream, white picket fence. Uh, I have my cute puppy and uh, two kids, and we're gonna live here forever until we die. So that's great. And it's like, you're not really concerned about anything. You just want the house that you want and that's it. But then you have your real estate investors who are like, I want to, you know, start with a condo and build up to something else and maybe get a multi-unit. So there's so many different ways and there's so many different strategies to go about it. Why would you put all that on yourself? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like there's a lot of great information on the internet. Like don't get me wrong. You can Google you know, you can go to Google University and figure out a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, like, don't short, you know, cut yourself short, like speak with someone who's actually engaging in this stuff daily, who's actually experiencing the market daily. Yeah. Um, and there's so many opinions out there, too. So it's like, <laughs> you want to talk to someone who actually is getting that firsthand experience. One thing I want to ask you is, well, I know personally, I have had to become a lot more comfortable in recent years with the idea that debt is okay and actually a good thing. I remember when we were purchasing this Big Bear condo, I kept thinking like, wow, the monthly payments are so much lower than I thought they were going to be. My goal is going to be to pay this thing off as quickly as possible. And then I kind of realized I'm better off holding more of my money and putting that into another deal instead of paying this off. And I think that that was just kind of a mindset adjustment I had to make that it's okay to have some debt. Maybe when it comes to vehicles or depreciating assets, that's not the right move. But with real estate, I don't know, what are your thoughts on this? Like, is debt okay in real estate? Or should people, for example, I actually got a question, somebody said, should I be taking my short term rental profits and trying to pay off my mortgage as soon as possible? Or putting that money towards finding the next deal? What would you do? Oh, I would use that debt. You owe, you got to play with the house's money, mm-hmm, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like you, that is how people build wealth. Like mm-hmm. you could not build wealth if you were paying cash and paying off mortgages. Big successful investors, they try to get as much debt and grab as much money as they can that is not theirs and continue to grow it and invest it and grow it and investment. And real estate is one of those beautiful vehicles that is 
consistent. It's not like I'm taking debt and putting it on black. Like right. that's dangerous. <laughs> you know, like you're taking this quote unquote debt and you're investing in something that you know will grow exponentially more than it would in sitting in a bank. So, I mean, me personally, like when I took out uh, my loan for, for my first place, like I stretched myself, like I was not in the market for a million dollar property. It was just the opportunity came up. I was like, I can't pass this up. I see what the value is over time. I got an interest only loan knowing that I'm not even chipping away at my mortgage, but I didn't care because I was like all the amount I'm gaining in appreciation, like it doesn't even touch, you know, what's, what's going on. And if I do decide I need to sell it one day, it's like, that's no problem. Like I don't even care about the principal. So this idea of wanting to, you know, pay off your home or all that, like as an investor, and again, two different schools here, but as an investor, you don't want to be doing that. Mm -hmm. You want to be playing with the house's money so you can gain more and acquire more. And then you're building assets, you're building wealth. And then, you know, those are like piggy banks. Anytime you need to break into one, you sell one and it's like, cool, you got some of your money back. You got some of your money back. But the last thing you want to be doing is, you know, paying cash, letting money sit in the bank, paying up your mortgage. Um, if, If you're actually trying to invest, I mean, in anything, especially real estate, you need to be using debt as a tool. Mm-hmm. It is a great, great tool. Well, I think that's so encouraging because like we s- talked to earlier, I think so many people just seriously think like, I have to have $650,000 saved up and it's so unattainable. That is not remotely true. You can get so many loans and stuff and and yeah, build build your own wealth by using other people's money. And I love that analogy you just used too about how each property can be its own little piggy bank. I know when we did buy that Big Bear condo, which was our first like, investment property, I was thinking to myself, you know, maybe this is just something we're going to hold for a few years. And then if we find a bigger and better deal, we'll sell that one. And that's fine. We've we've doubled the the equity on that one already. And that would be fine if we ended up doing that. But another thing I've realized is I think for our next deal, we actually don't even have to sell that one because now I can use that property as collateral for the next loan as well. So just getting your foot in on that first deal really makes all the difference. 100%. And like now, like you're where you're at right now, that is the ideal. Once you get to the place where it's like, wait, I don't have to sell and I can continue to buy. Yeah, that's right. Boom, you have a portfolio, you're rolling, you're going. Because ideally, I mean, if you can hold, hold. You know, you you should be holding as long as possible until there's an opportunity to go up or you're in a bad situation and you need to break the piggy bank. (laughs) That's why we buy real estate, you know. (laughs) It's, It's just a vehicle to store money and see it grow way better than it would sitting in a bank. So maybe instead of Dwight trading up from the paperclip, he should have just kept all of the assets. He could have had Oscar salsa and <laughs> Ryan's mom's pesto. Ryan's mom's pesto. And kept yeah. it all. Exactly. God, what, what, it all Dwight, what an ignorant slut he is. <laughs> okay. Tell me, tell me, Ben, too. I want to know what are your like, what are you planning to do during this time period? And just I know you're out here giving so many advice to different people and you keep saying it really depends on someone's situation and their goals. What are your goals? What are you planning to invest in? Are you investing right now? Or I, I don't know, give us like the lowdown on everything. Yeah, ben Pinnell, what your moves are going to be during this time. 100%. So, um, and, and for me, like as a professional, it helps me so much. The fact that I actually love real estate, mm-hmm. I actually love Orange County. And so Anytime I'm talking about Orange County or real estate, I'm not selling anything. I'm literally sharing 
my passions and my plans <laughs> for what I'm doing. And if it makes sense to you, come on and join me. I'll help you out. <laughs> so uh, for me personally right now, like I said, I have that property. And currently I'm looking. I'm in the market. I want to buy something. Like I said, right now I think is an amazing opportunity. I was up at uh, 4 a.m. the other morning just sending properties to friends, my dad, like investors, because I was literally just so excited by where the market's at. Mm -hmm. And I don't do that often. Like I am not a 4 a.m. guy. Like I'm not a 5 a.m. guy, occasionally 6 a.m., not really. But I like am so excited to see like properties sitting on the market, like new stuff coming on, like knowing they have to be competitive. Um, so I think there's a window of opportunity right now for anyone looking to get in the market for their first home or start to invest. When you see something that's sitting on the market, don't let all your flags go off. Like, what's wrong with this property? Mm. What you should really be thinking about is, okay, how can this property be an asset for me? How can I utilize this as, you know, a vehicle for, for my money? And if it makes sense, don't sit and wait to see what happens. Be the first one to the ball. Mm. Be the first one there to start the conversation. Even if you think it's, I love overpriced listings. I love them. I think they're amazing because no one else is, wants to talk to that listing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's the standoff person at the bar. No one wants to talk to that person. That is my person. Because <laughs> if I can get in, <laughs> that's a win. <laughs> right? Like that, that is a win, 100%. So it's like, that's how I see it with listings. It's like, no one wants to talk to me. Everyone thinks they're crazy. Everyone thinks like they're unreasonable. So I'm going to go shoot my shot and see if we can actually put something together. And if we do, great. If not, that was the expectation anyway. So I think right now we're getting back to, like I say, a normal state in the market. Mm -hmm. We are going to see some unreasonable sellers. But if they're real sellers, they're still going to have to sell to someone. So be the first one to talk. Don't be the one that misses like, oh, my God, they ended up selling for that much lower. Like, I wish I talked to them. Yeah. You know, so I, I guess don't be intimidated like uh, the intimidating person at the bar. Don't be don't be scared. Go, sh go shoot your shot. Don't, don't run away. You never know what'll happen. It's so funny you saying that because I have literally talked to people who said like, oh, this house has been on the market for like one or two days. I'm not even going to bother. Like it's, it's going to be gone by the time I put in an offer. The market is crazy. And then I've talked to people who are like, oh, I'm interested in this house that has been sitting for six months. That must mean that there's something wrong with it. And it just seems like so many people will try to get in their own head no matter what the situation is. They're looking for a reason to think the grass is greener on the other side or that if the conditions were only like this, they would go for it. Um, and it can be anything. Maybe somebody sees a turnkey place and thinks like, no, it's overpriced. I'd rather get a fixer upper. And then a fixer upper comes on the market and they're like, oh, no, it's too much work. So, yep. yeah, you really just have to whatever opportunities you see, you got to go for them. 100 percent. And that's the biggest thing is everyone wants the good deal. Everyone wants the best deal. But in reality, and, and I could put the most simple way, a good deal is getting a deal mm -hmm. <laughs> is, is getting in the, the people who are getting bad deals are the people who are sitting on the sidelines who wanted to buy four years ago and didn't buy and are now kicking themselves. They yeah. got a bad deal because they didn't get in the, they didn't get in the market. Um, and as long as you are being guided by a professional again, mm -hmm. then you, you really won't make a bad move. You, you can't make a bad move getting in the market because a professional will find out what's your situation. What's your goal for the next three years, five years, you know, where do you see yourself? What are you trying to accomplish with this purchase? And at that point, the professional will guide you appropriately. Yeah. So at that point, there's really no bad deal. You know, it, it, it's really, it's it's tough because I think, like you said, there's a lot of mental blocks with it. Yes. Uh, so I think that the takeaway from that is 
the people that I have seen lose the biggest, like the, the worst deals I've seen done in the last five years are my clients that didn't buy. And, and they talk to me now and it's like heartbreaking. I'm like, I know, I don't even know what to say. Like, I'm <laughs> <messed> sorry. <laughs> I wish you bought too. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, and again, I don't, I don't want to come off as like a corny real estate. It's always a good time to buy. Uh, but in reality, there is always an opportunity in the market yeah. for a certain buyer. Find out what kind of buyer you are and find out if it's the right market for you. If not, now you're set up for the right market when the time comes. Yeah, yeah. I think also earlier when we talked about the difference between right now and the 2008 housing crash, you know, and you mentioned that they were basically just giving home loans to everybody. A lot of people, I think, are discouraged, like, oh, maybe I can't get a home loan right now. That actually is a good thing. And if you're not able to qualify for something right now, that is the bank protecting you and knowing that you might not be able to make those monthly payments. So if you are scared that it is too risky for you right now, whatever you get qualified for, you know that that is what the bank is trusting that you'll be able to pay pay back. Like it's, it's there to protect you as well, that it's not going to be too risky and you're not over leveraging yourself. 100%. That's such a good point. And that's, that's just the reality of the situation. Anytime people are like, recession, recession, checks and balances were put in place after the last recession mm-hmm. to avoid revisiting that experience. Yeah, That's one of them. So instead of being discouraged about it, be happy that, you know, that will protect us from staying out of that red zone again. Um, and in the meantime, again, we just need to brainstorm, collaborate and figure out what is the best game plan for you. Mm-hmm. And that, like you mentioned earlier, that account that I actually just rebranded today, uh, the Starter Home Collection, that account, the purpose of it is to show people, OK, maybe if you can't buy in Orange County, maybe you can start your portfolio in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can buy a $300,000 home there, uh, get some renters in there, it cash flows, maybe $500 a month. You're building equity on it. And eventually get to a point where you can either sell it to buy in Orange County or you want to buy it there or buy somewhere else or use the, you know, the cash flow you made to invest in, in other things. The bottom line is you want to get in because, again, I'll say this again, the number one asset you have in real estate is time. Time is the number one thing to grow your asset. That's, that's just gold. And yeah, I know, I know, especially my audience is mostly women. And I know women are a lot more risk adverse and fearful of that. So I think just you putting it, putting it in those simple terms, like really just get in the second that you can, because that's what's going to help you more than anything is the longer that you're in the market, I think is very helpful for people. 100%. Get out of your own way. (laughs) Yes, yes, 100%. Here's what I want to finish on, and I'm kind of throwing on the spot, but every single episode, I always do an Airbnb quick tip. And this is just basically something that I want all my listeners to be able to leave with that very same day, something that they could put into action that day. So it can either be related to Airbnb hosting, which I know you do, or maybe what we just talked about. Um, but is there anything you can leave listeners with that like when when they finish listening today and jump off, they can go put something into action today? Yes. Um, let's go with this. Airbnb requires purchasing a property. <laughs> <laughs> well, it may not. You could also arbitrage or co-host, but I think True. purchasing is... 100%. Um, I will, I'll say this, and let me let me rephrase that. Airbnb commonly involves purchasing <laughs> property. And the beauty about owning the property, owning the land, is that appreciation over time of yeah. the land. So Airbnb is a phenomenal investment tool uh, that goes hand-in-hand hand with real estate. 
But in addition to your Airbnb, like you, you people love Airbnb because of the returns on it, yeah. uh, that, you know, what you're making on it. But what's also happening in the background is that appreciation. Yeah. So when it comes to that, obviously you need to take those leaps and where to purchase and how to purchase. And, and again, I'm not an expert in every single market. That's just the reality of it. But I highly encourage everyone to reach out to a professional in your area start the conversation, remove any sort of fear that you are wasting someone's time. Uh, trust me, you're not. And if someone treats you like they, like, like you are, contact me and I'll put you in touch with someone. I have amazing referral partners all over the country and literally every single market. I would love to put you in contact with anyone wherever you're looking to invest. Um, but start that conversation with someone because that's really is going to be the helpful resource for you to figure out the first step. Of, of where am I going to actually invest this money? And am I capable of doing this? Because like you said, Natalie, there's more than one way to do it. Yeah. You might not need to purchase a property. Um, but if you can, it's a beautiful way to do it. And uh, it starts with the guidance from professionals. So I love that one thing you said too, it was, you know, Airbnb is a great tool, but in the meantime, while you're cash flowing with Airbnb, in the background, you're appreciating that asset. And with co-hosting or arbitrage, I think that those kinds of hosts are going to be a little bit more nervous come recessions because if tourism dips a little bit, there goes your entire income. You still have to pay rent if you're doing an arbitrage situation, you know, or if you're co-hosting, all of a sudden your money's going to drop. But if your primary goal was real estate investing, you're still gaining that appreciation even when tourism dips a little bit and travel is lower. 100%. Yep. That, that is, I think, uh, my takeaway and, um, or hopefully, hopefully your takeaway. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and like, uh, like the great Mark Twain said, buy land, they're not making it. Yeah. yeah I mean, truth. at the end of the day, you know, we went for a smaller condo in Big Bear, bought it for 183000 Like I said, Ben, you bought a place for a million dollars during the pandemic in Newport and are doing very high luxury. But no matter what point you're at and how much you can put in, there's still something you will gain out of just taking that first step and, and getting into your first deal. Yep. And then I'll, I'll leave it with a famous quote also from my dad that I still don't understand till this day. There's more than one way to skin a cat. I think it's the most disgusting <laughs> saying ever. I get the concept. There's more than one way to do something. I don't understand the cat. I don't understand the skinning. But it is a popular thing. Um, but yeah, I think that's super important to remember because I think people like we've talked about, touched about in many different ways, think there's only one way to do this. Yeah, There's so many ways to do this. There's so many ways to invest in real estate, so many ways to get into an Airbnb. So don't pinhole yourself to what your current thought is and what your current mindset is. Talk to people, talk to professionals like yourself, talk to professionals like me, figure out what your options are because there's so many creative ways to, to do this and use this tool. All right, you guys, we heard it. Go out there, skin some cats. Uh, go go follow Ben. And again, even if you're not in his market, please go do because he posts starter homes from all over the country and he can refer you with a realtor anywhere. So do not be shy contacting him and I will link all the ways to reach him. Benny P Realty and also Starter Home Collections. Um, go ahead. That will be linked in the show notes. Thank you so much, Ben. I really appreciate the time and yeah, thank thank you again. I know we love you, and Violet loves her godfather. Her godfather. <laughs> godfather. Thanks for having me, Nat. It was super fun. Give my love to Vi, and I'll see you soon. See you soon. And finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole? For this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole? 
I had a consultation with a lovely host named Stephanie last week. Her Airbnb property is based in Mammoth, California. And when we had a few minutes left of the call, Stephanie was like, hey, before we jump off, can I please share with you a situation I had with a guest? I think it would be perfect for your Am I the Airbnb whole segment. So she told me everything. And sure enough, it was the perfect story. Very clear to tell who is in the wrong here, okay? After she finished telling me, I asked her to please write it all up, send it over to me so that I can recap it without missing a detail. So that is what we will be reading today. Before I jump into it, if you guys are planning a stay in Mammoth or planning to visit that area, please check out Stephanie's listing. I am going to link it in the show notes and her place is so cute. It's got every amenity to enjoy a perfect stay in the mountains. So go support a fellow listener of the show, show her some love and check out her place. Let's jump into her story. In September of last year, a lady who we will call Samantha booked our place for four nights. I knew she was going to be a pill before she even got there because she was asking so many questions like, what is the water level at the lake? Do you have a beach umbrella? Is there salt and pepper in the kitchen? All of which were things noted in my listing, but I still responded. She she even asked for a discount and asked me to pay her tourist taxes for her. On day three, she sends me the following message. Dear Stephanie, I hope your day is going well. I will be honest with you about something. I was disappointed about not being informed about the fires and its impact in this area. We would have not come up if we were informed about the fire and forest being closed. Clearly, nothing was open yesterday and we were disappointed. However, with the news that everything would be open today, we've decided to accept the circumstance. However, the air quality today is so bad that we cannot do any outdoor activity. It is not acceptable. We will leave tomorrow early in the morning and we would like to request a full refund. Best Samantha. I told her, I apologize if you feel I've not been informative enough and while I take pride in striving to anticipate all my guests' needs, it is not my responsibility to check the weather for you or to notify you of anything that may or may not affect your trip itinerary. The forest was entirely reopened the day they arrived, not the day before, so it would not have affected anything. I also said that per my conversation with Airbnb, the air quality was not nearly bad enough to qualify as an extenuating circumstance. It was literally hazy for one afternoon. I told her I am not obligated to provide her with any type of refund, but am willing to refund her tonight and tomorrow night's stay if she leaves today. I then decide to look back at the ring camera, and what I heard was shocking. This part, you guys, wow. She says... She and her boyfriend were having this conversation. She said, in front of the camera, you guys, she said she was going to try and get Airbnb to give her a refund. Her boyfriend laughed and said, well, that's just like you, always trying to optimize a discount. She then starts reading from her phone the extenuating circumstances in which Airbnb will give a guest a refund, and they decide to use the excuse that the air quality was so bad that it was impossible for them to go outside. They even started taking pictures of the clouds to make it look like there was smoke in the air. Meanwhile, they are seen going out riding their bikes and then later with hiking backpacks. They were gone most of the time and clearly enjoying the outdoors during their entire trip. 
How is it that on day three of her stay, she is just now complaining? I think she regretted selecting the non-refundable option, and clearly she wanted a free stay. Getting things for free is almost like a game to some people. Because I was not willing to accommodate that, she then started getting combative and saying I was not transparent, not decent, and not helpful, and that I made her feel totally stuck staying in her place, and she could not leave because she had a conference call the next day and needed to be on Wi-Fi. What does that have to do with me. You offered to refund her that night and the day after the entire remainder of her trip if she leaves. How can she say that she feels totally stuck? And yeah, it is not your fault that she has a work call. Why is that your problem at all? I just cannot believe. I know that hosts, we like to speculate a lot and be like, oh, this person complained. They are probably the type of guest who is just trying to get a free refund any chance they get. The fact that you actually caught on camera this entire conversation happening of her and her boyfriend figuring out how to game the system, standing there in front of the ring camera saying, this is my thing. I always try to get out of stays. I always try to get refunds. I always try to optimize a discount. The fact that you caught that on camera, her taking pictures of the clouds, trying to say that it's going to look like smoke in the air, her reading through the extenuating circumstances to try and get something. I just cannot believe, first of all, how stupid they are to have this conversation right in front of the camera. But it's just amazing and so validating that you caught that because I know hosts speculate this all the time, but to actually catch it is amazing. This was the message Stephanie sent. I'm very sorry that you feel that way. I'm glad you are choosing to stay. Since everything has been opened up, I hope you will be able to enjoy the remainder of your time in Mammoth. If there's anything you need that is within my ability to make your stay more comfortable, I will continue to be available 24-7 for the remainder of your stay. The next day, I got an alert that Samantha had canceled her stay. Canceled doesn't mean refunded. It just means she is leaving. But did she leave? No. She stayed for most of the day, even though I told her the cleaners were coming. At this point, I made a call to our property manager and asked them to go knock on the door and ask her to leave. After about another hour, she finally did. The one other part of this story that absolutely infuriates me is Stephanie went on to say that apparently this girl, Samantha, complained so much that Airbnb ended up refunding her the entire amount. And even though it didn't come out of Stephanie's payment and she still retained it, basically Airbnb took the hit. I am so mad at Airbnb because what is this doing? All this does is teach guests like this that they can get away with this and try it on someone else. You did leave, Stephanie, to your credit, you did leave her a very honest review, very much speaking to the facts and Airbnb did delete her review she left of you, but they left this one. So thank God for that, that future hosts are going to see what they're dealing with if they accept a reservation from this woman. There are two Airbnb holes here, that guest and Airbnb itself. I am so mad that they give refunds to guests like this. And just even though it didn't come out of your payment, that's not enough. You cannot teach guests that this is okay. And I'm so disappointed because all this did was enable her to try pulling this on someone else in the future. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for sending me this story. I am still just in shock that she was stupid enough to have this whole diabolical plan, plan out this entire scheme 
right in front of the ring camera. That is so rich. Thank you for sending this. You guys go check out Stephanie's listing. It is so cute. And I hope that this episode was helpful. I hope that if you've been sitting on the fence waiting to get into your first real estate deal, or if you're already in your first deal and you've been waiting to start scaling up, I hope that this episode just gave you the motivation you needed to get out of your own way and go get started. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye.